Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. You can't have effective growth these days without an engaging content strategy. I chatted with one of the best marketers I know, Chantel Marcel, who currently does referral and partner marketing at Uber. We chat about why content marketing matters, examples of great content marketing, and things the most effective content marketers do. Hope you enjoy. I'm super impressed at how Decibel makes audio advertising a breeze. You can launch a campaign in less than five minutes at decibelads.com. Their advanced targeting means you can reach the right customers at scale across almost all digital streaming platforms, plus a powerful conversion pixel and a choice between human and AI voices makes this my go-to for campaigns. Sign up now at decibelads.com using code millennials for $100 in credits. Hey, Chantel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm finally on here. <laughs> I know, we were on Clubhouse, feels like forever ago, when Clubhouse was actually a thing. I don't think it is a thing anymore. Some people say it's a thing, but I want to get into the question so people get a little background about you. How did you get into marketing? And I love how you put in your profile, the digital marketing guy, because everybody has <laughs> that. That's so funny to me. I figured I needed to claim it before somebody else did. It was a joke. <laughs> and I was like, if I take it down, somebody else is definitely going to take it. I love it. Yeah. So my background was originally in journalism. At the time, journalism was going through the big shift where print was kind of dwindling or, the, or you know, the media was trying to figure out a new way to keep up with all of the digital consumption that people were starting to, to trend toward. So I decided to move away from um, that industry. I went into PR like a lot of former journalists or aspiring journalists. And I naturally started doing a lot of social media management for clients because this was when social media was very new. Not a lot of brands knew how to do anything on there. And so there was an opportunity for a lot of young people who grew up using like MySpace, Facebook, LiveJournal, et cetera, to uh, take that position of expertise. And so naturally from social media, I migrated into doing full marketing services for startups and small businesses. So it was kind of like a natural, a very natural progression. I love it. I, I feel like there is so many marketers that started journalism. It's so it's so great, especially on Twitter. I, I feel like one out of every four people I met was a former journalist. I love it. I want to get into something that you're pretty great at is creating content that engages people. But I want to start off, what makes engaging content? Yeah, that's always tough because with every piece of content that you create, you want it to be as effective and engaged as possible. I know everybody 
watches virality as a metric, like how close can you get to virality with everything that you post? And, you know, I find that I experiment a lot with my personal brand and creating content on my own. And then the things that I learn by doing that translate pretty well into creating content for a brand or doing content strategy for a brand. So yeah, it it really varies. I would say right now it's the internet and social media change so often, especially right now, there's very fast rate of evolution that what's engaging one day may not be the next day. There's some core principles to what makes engaging content, which is like making sure essentially to speak to what your audience is looking for, answering their questions or making them feel connected, seen, heard. So those foundational pieces, I would say, don't change. With the internet changing so much and marketing changing so much and channels changing so much, what are some ways that you stay ahead of that as a a content person? A lot of digital consumption, being active online pretty regularly, staying on top of that and being active in digital communities really helps you to have a pulse on what's trending, what sort of cultural moments are taking place. And it helps you to more naturally speak to that and create for that. So when you plan content for yourself or clients, how do you decide what channels to go on and what message to portray and where do you even start with that? It really varies. I've worked with like very new brands where, you know, it's a startup and you're just testing things out and kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. A lot of startup founders and marketers tend to gravitate toward either what competitors are doing, where competitors are, or just what's hot and what's trending. And they tend to start there. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. It gives you an opportunity to experiment and play around. And then, you know, if it doesn't work and you're watching the metrics and it's like, this is not effective for us and moving the needle, our audience, our customers are not here, then you just keep trying new things. With more established brands, that can be a little trickier because you have more established data points to pull from. So you can say, okay, well, looking at our historical data and the performance in the past, this is where I think we need to be. But I think you also need to leave room for that experimentation. Same as with a startup, you kind of have to keep that scrappy, open-minded approach just to give yourself room to learn something new, or maybe, you know, the data says that something didn't work in the past, but if you change your approach, it could change in the future. I know right now, a lot of brands are very interested in TikTok. So that seems to be the very hot channel right now, as well as organic and like SEO. That also seems to be coming up a lot more in conversation just because paid performance marketing is not as reliable as it used to be in the past. I'm actually glad that people are asking the question about organic that paid is because that's actually shows a sign that they understand the shift of 
how paid is going instead of just saying, what are some other paid channels we can go on? They're actually talking about organic channels and going on social and creating content. That's actually a great sign that people are shifting that way. I mean, maybe not for the competition side of things, but it is a great sign that people are starting to like respect those channels more as channels that work. Yeah. You know, I have worked in growth marketing for a while with a focus on acquisition. And that question always comes up of why am I like focused on content or why am I like bringing up content into conversations where I'm talking about strategy and these days, I don't think you can have effective growth without a really strong content strategy because that engaging content on organic social, on your website, on your blog, et cetera, those things can can drive results in such a, a meaningful, impactful way that it's it's hard to ignore that. I know Airbnb just... Brian Chesky, one of the the co-founders, had posted on Twitter that uh, they Airbnb had pulled back a little bit from, I think, performance spend over the past few years and had really started um, paying attention to PR, you know, organic PR as a channel, as a growth channel. And they found it to be tremendously effective just by focusing in on that area rather than just advertising, digital advertising. And so they cut their marketing budget from, I think it was like 30 something percent to about 20%. And they were able to sustain the brand even during the pandemic, just by focusing on a different type of content, um, rather than just trying to, you know, throw money at, at things and let that be the solution. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's most marketing, most marketers I've been around, not more bigger companies they just throw money at marketing and they don't even looking at results it's just like can i spend as much money as possible i have a question for you since you've been in acquisition how do you think of balancing and working together with content and acquisition like to get working together when is a good time to use content in your acquisition plays versus use it organically I like to trend toward focusing on content and incorporating organic content on any of the organic channels right from the start and make that really a core piece of strategy rather than looking at paid channels and trying to rely on those first. I think in the past, those were quick, easy wins. Like you knew if you spent a certain amount of money, you'd make a ton of money, you would have a certain uh, ROI. You didn't even necessarily have to know what you were doing or be doing it very well. You just threw that money at it and somebody was going to buy. But these days, that's not the case. And so, you know, in the past, I've worked with a lot of small businesses where you're accountable for every dollar spent, every resource used, and things are, you know, a little bit tighter. So if you can't show that return on what you're spending, then it looks very negative for you and it impacts the entire business in a, a large way. So, you know, I always try to educate teams that I'm working with on the benefits of putting a strong organic strategy in place that will 
grow over time. So as long as you plant those seeds early on, they tend to grow pretty efficiently over time, um, especially if you're watering them, paying attention and just being mindful of that. Um, and then you can add those paid acquisition plays on top of that. It's an additional layer, but that can't really be the core of what you're doing just because it's just not right now, especially it's not a stable, reliable channel to place all your bets on. As a marker, looking at some inspiration for what great content marketing looks like, what are some companies that you think do this very well in terms of organic? You could give an example between like social or actual organic PR or any channel that you see companies doing well at. So there are so many brands that are doing really well right now. You know, Duolingo is killing it on TikTok and on social. They're taking a lot of risk. They're doing things that are weird, but they fit with that brand. They've really crafted a personality online that resonates, that shows a deep understanding of internet culture, and they've tailored that to every channel that they're involved in. Something cool is that they also have a series of podcasts that they've released in different languages, which ties in so nicely with their DNA. So that's a, a really smart one. You know, there are other brands that have done a really good job at leveraging the power of using individual voices to drive growth and to drive traction. So I'm a, a firm believer that, you know, people want to buy from people, people want to listen to other people much more so than they want to believe what a brand is putting out. So brands that have created a really strong personal brand for their founder, so founder-led growth, um, founder-led branding, and also on employees, employee advocacy, I think that those have proven to be really effective. And those are brands like Gong, I want to bring up Elon Musk, but I mean, he's just a really big personality who has uh, gotten a lot of PR. I don't know if that's good or bad, but he's gotten a lot of attention and really shaped those brands around who he is as the founder. So there's just a lot of, of folks who are doing that in a really effective way right now. How do you convince a founder to start producing content online for their brand? You know, I think a lot of founders see other founders doing it and they're like, that looks really cool. I just don't want to, I don't know if I could create that content or if I could do that or if I have the time to manage that. So I think that building partnerships with marketers on the team where you're helping to manage that for them, you know, creating content for them after, of course, you've learned their voice so that you can create content that sounds authentic and doesn't sound like a PR statement that's being put out and then helping them to take advantage of like automation tools. So like schedulers and things that really has proven successful in the past with some of the founders that I've worked with. You know, especially if you can like hang out with them for a bit. One thing I like to do is like when they give 
talks or presentations, listening back to those and pulling snippets out of those, or just when I'm having conversations with them, sometimes jotting things down in their exact words and then writing things for them based on that, that helps to develop trust that, you know, they can rely on you to speak in a way that sounds authentic to what they would actually say. I want to go into um, the journalism side of helping you create content. Like what did you learn from like journalism that trend helped you in creating content? Like what pillars or concepts are something that you use today when creating it? Man, so much. Like the core of journalism, of course, is effective, strong writing skills. And that is so beneficial in marketing. Whatever area of marketing that I focused on, um, I haven't focused on content marketing in a very long time, but I still benefit from the fact that I have those very strong writing skills that I developed in some of my coursework. Also accuracy, paying attention to the validity of what you're you're saying, storytelling, telling a really powerful story that starts with the most important or impactful information and then, you know, dwindles down after that. Something really important that I learned in journalism was like the number side of things. So a lot of content marketers will say, you know, I'm not good at numbers. That's why I'm in content or I'm not good at math. So that's why I'm in content. But you do have to still be good at numbers to be a strong marketer in any area or to be a strong content strategist or copywriter. Because in marketing, we communicate a lot of numbers. We communicate statistics, we communicate revenue, and then we have to report back on the success of what we're doing and how that translates into revenue or moves the needle in whatever way toward the KPIs and goals that the company has. So knowing, having a basic understanding of business numbers is just really important for for every marketer. And I think in journalism, we had to we had to know how to incorporate those numbers and trends into what we were writing. That definitely has served me well. Yeah, I think an underrated skill is like combining story with data and having data storytelling as a thing. I think a lot of people, even when you're presenting internally, being able to take the numbers of a campaign and tell a good story to leadership of how it performed. And then on the other side, when you can give specifics to a customer or a buyer or someone who's reading that validates what you're saying is true. I think it goes a long way instead of just saying a hundred people did this and you had exactly like 123, like that specific number could change the believability of like that data point in your content. Exactly. You're like reading my mind right now. I um, (laughs) had just read a study the other day that the more specific the numbers you use, the more like trustworthy that they seem to other people. So instead of rounding your numbers to something, you know, that looks prettier, uh, like 50%, being more specific. So like 51.2%, people tend to find you more credible as a source. 
But yeah, like you were saying, I, I think that numbers go a long way toward developing trust internally and externally. So a lot of times if I've wanted to do something, it's harder to get company-wide buy-in, especially at the executive level, if I don't have some tie back to important KPIs and numbers for the company. So if I can say, I'd like to do a content series on XYZ, and this is the projected results of what I believe I can accomplish with this content series, it's easier to get that approved than if I just come and say, you know, I think people would really like to hear about this content series and try to push it through just based on like my intuition or my gut feelings. A lot of times executives, especially CEOs, are not too keen on um, letting marketers just run on on intuition or gut, which I'm not sure that that's, you know, a great thing, but just something that you have to acclimate yourself for, I suppose. Yeah, I think part of it is reputation and part of it is being able to tell a good story with numbers because I think a lot of people look at channel-specific ROI instead of looking at this is my marketing spend and how is it performing across all channels and how is it coming back? Because I think that's the big problem is someone will go and put money on Facebook, for example, and it wouldn't perform, but like the blended number looks good and they don't understand that someone looked on their phone and then Googled your business and went in through maybe a paid search ad and Facebook gets no credit for that. And you start turning down Facebook, for example, or the same thing with content or social. Someone sees you talking about the brand and social and they go Google it. And then now all paid paid search is getting credit, but it was a social post that actually broadened that potential prospect. So I think looking at something more blended and understanding that if we're efficient in marketing in general, it's okay to test new channels. If we're not efficient in marketing in general, then we can't be mm -hmm. throwing money everywhere. Yeah, I think people just want to oversimplify things. They want a nice, neat, linear customer journey where customer did one, two, three steps, and then they converted. But a lot of times it's a lot more complex and I think that there's a bit of education that needs to take place right now about the overall customer experience and how marketing plays a role in that. You know, there could be a number of different touch points. We're not always going to be able to trace each touch point back to a very nice, neat, direct point in their journey. We don't always have visibility into that. You know, like Chris Walker on LinkedIn is always talking about like dark social and you know, how there are things that your customers or prospects are doing that are not going to show up in your reports, they're not going to show up in your data. And that's just sort of something that you have to incorporate and sort of understand when you're reading a marketing report. So you can't always take your marketing reports at face value and just look at the data and say, oh, it's 100% accurate. So these are the channels without a shadow of a doubt that are moving the needle. A lot of people like to rely on like last touch attribution too, which is definitely not the way you want to go. I always said that there's two types of things 
you come up with rules for attribution so it's clean to report numbers back to finance, but at the same time, your media, your internal way you're reporting and doing things are differently and you could do multi-touch and start doing that. But I think if you make it cleaner and more presentable for other departments and the marketing team internally can start using the numbers and figuring out more information about the customer, it makes things easier. But I always made it simplified when I had to report things out to the business because I didn't want them to go crazy and looking at all these different <laughs> stats. I just made it a simple, like, here's how marketing's performing at these buckets of channels. And But I think one thing that you were talking about is I think if you just tell someone to be in the shoes of when they buy and see what they actually do and know how unclean their journey is usually, I think they can start realizing that they didn't like convert off that Facebook ad or they, or their friend told them in a, a Slack channel about it or their friend texted them or they saw a LinkedIn post about it. Or like every time I've converted or heard about a brand, I, I've heard about Gong a million times. I cannot remember my first touch point I had with Gong. <laughs> like it could have been an ad. It could have been something, but I couldn't remember. And if they asked me, where did you hear about us? I probably would have said LinkedIn right now, but it could have been an ad. It could have been something else. That That's the problem. It's like a lot of these, and people don't understand a lot of the problem is it's a long journey. It could be someone in was introduced to your brand nine months ago and is following the journey for nine months and then they're ready to buy and they're going to tell you that they converted off of google because that was their last touch <laughs> but it isn't it isn't their last touch right that's why content is so important right and it's also why it's so hard to prove the value of content because a lot of times it falls somewhere in that messy middle it usually is not going to be the very last touch point and sometimes it's not the first either. So then it's like, how do you weigh each of those points? Do you weigh them equally? Do you, you know, it's just the whole science to it. But you're right. You definitely want to simplify it when you're presenting those numbers because a lot of people don't have time to sit there and go over, you know, well, here's what this attribution model is and here's what this one is. A lot of times they just want some easy answers but I think as marketers, we've got to educate people over time that, especially if you're managing one of those channels that doesn't necessarily always get the credit, like content or like social media, you want to try to start slowly educating people that this is where the value of these channels lies. This is where the most benefit is going to be had. Because like you, I don't remember the first time that I ever heard of Gong, but I do know that they've just done a really great job at like staying top of mind with like repeated touch points. Just, you know, their content that they put out is really strong, um, especially when it comes to employee advocacy and just presence on LinkedIn, content on LinkedIn. So just all of those repeated little hits. Now they come to mind first when I think of that form of technology or that form of SaaS. It's funny you brought out Chris Walker the other day in this conversation, but I, he said something very interesting to me today and it articulated what I think about content is 
as a buyer or someone, you don't remember podcasts three and 18 and num- the number of podcasts that, that, that you consumed, or you don't remember that you consume content 22 or 55 of, on LinkedIn of that person, but you remember that you've been following, listening to the podcast for five episodes. You remember that you saw multiple LinkedIn posts. And that's the problem is like, you can't attribute something to one piece of content because it is a journey of content. It's like they, people are going to see multiple things because they want to read your stuff. And it's, it's hard to be like, Oh, that's the piece of content that did it. Maybe it gets read more, but it's not that piece of content that converted that buyer into a sale. That's why consistency is so, you know, everybody's always like, go be consistent, be consistent. It really is such a crucial part of a successful content strategy, because if you're not consistent, then you're not having those repeated touch points that do start to build a lasting memory or lasting impression in someone's mind. You know, I hear a lot of people also say the importance of making sure to really focus your content on your specific niche. And that also really does play a huge part in uh, fast growth because when people see you repeating the same messages over and over, they may not remember one thing that you've said, like Chris Walker, I I'm sure that he's talked about like dark social and measuring marketing success repeatedly. And so that's why I'm able to recall what he said, because it's, it's not like he's just said it one time, two years ago, and that was it. He repeats it over and over so that it does really come to mind the minute that you say Chris Walker. So he's really built a very strong brand for himself and Refine Labs just through that like consistency, repetition, and focusing on a, a specific niche. It's hard getting in the earbuds of your customers. There are a ton of distractions out there and getting your audio ad heard by the right audience is tough. That's why I'm super impressed with how Decibel is making it look easy. Through their platform, you'll get your first campaign launched in minutes using real or human AI voices and across almost all digital platforms. If you're looking to reach your audience at scale and use a powerful pixel for conversion attribution, you've got to visit decibelads.com. Sign up and launch your campaign in less than five minutes. Use code millennials to get $100 in credits towards your first campaign at decibelads.com. I think you made like a great point there about repetition. I think a lot of people miss the point of combining those two. I think a lot of people are consistent and they just create content consistently. I see it all the time on social media, but there's not one theme or something that they're known for. So it gets very confusing what to recall something that they have where you said Chris talks about these things over and over. Gary V talks about these things over and over. I could tell like Caitlin Burgoyne talks about psychology all the time. And I know that she talks about psychology. I can tell, tell like Brianne talks about personal branding all the time. I could tell what Christina talks about community all the time because, <laughs> but that's because I'm oh, recalling what they, yeah, I'm just saying like okay, all these people. Let's throw her in too. Yeah, Amanda. Amanda talks about content marketing. She talks about and everything. I, but I remember this all the time because I, they talk about it consistently and they talk about it repeatedly. They don't just stick to like a different script all the time. And I think that's one point that people miss when they're creating content is 
how could you say something a million different times to just resonate? <laughs> and also what I always tell people too is there's new people in your audience every single day. Yes. They haven't been introduced to that message yet. Why Why does it matter if someone else heard it? Someone else might doesn't have to read that, but there's could be a hundred new people who haven't heard you say that before that need to understand that's what you care about. Sometimes you do worry like, oh, am I sounding like a broken record or has someone, you know, already heard this from me and now it's not going to be fresh. That's a huge weight on the shoulders of content creators, I think, just like thinking that they always have to come up with something that's like so fresh and new. But I think repurposing content, reposting content that did really well previously. Those are all things that the most effective content creators and marketers do because it works. What, Mexican pizza is back or whatever? Taco Bell doing that huge campaign recently, bringing back one of their hits. You know, sometimes people just want the classics. They want to, you know, reconnect with something that, like, is already proven and true, so... I always say, and I I just thought of this term the other day, and I obviously this is why there's no, it's hard to say there's original content because it wasn't, but it came into my mind because I was thinking of product market fit and I was like, okay, there's, there has to be something called content market fit because <laughs> even if you produce something on a channel, it doesn't mean it's going to get consumed. And when I look at the data of like what posts are performing for me, there is a trend of certain topics that stand out to and resonate with people. And I think if you figure out those topics and just start messaging around those topics, it, it helps a lot. For example, I know me talking about, let's just say something like personal branding is a hit for my content. I'm going to double down on keep talking and helping people with that because it seems like it resonates with my audience. I'm not going to go talk about something random. I might throw that out. I might throw that out, but it's something that fits that audience on that channel. So I'm going to double down on that type of content. And I, I think a lot of people just put out content because they think it's cool for themselves, but it's like, what also resonates with your audience? What could you bring to them to make them care about it? Because at the same time, if you're producing online, you're doing it for someone unless otherwise go journal. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> journaling has no audience. Um, <laughs> Your diary. Yeah. 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 You're amazing at like everything we're talking about. You're one of the best consistent, authentic content creators that um, I've watched or I followed online. And I remember in the very beginning, like watching you and being like, oh my gosh, he's like huge on LinkedIn huge on Twitter, like every channel that you touch, you seem to approach it with a very strategic, tailored mindset. Like I also don't see too much overlap from you. Like you have a very set thing that you do on LinkedIn, but you do something original that, that feels original and fresh for Twitter. So it feels like it's one brand, but you know how to create and tailor for different channels, which I've always admired about you. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I've, that's why I admire your content. You know how to approach Twitter very well. And I look at, I see how you write threads and how you write different things and how you communicate with people and everybody like shouting you out. Like that shows <laughs> that you create authentic stuff. And I, I just think, for me, this is the honest truth for anybody listening is like, 
you have to focus on which is your main pillar channel when you're per- creating a personal brand. I think like it's hard to say that like at first it was LinkedIn for me. So that's why I focused a lot on that channel and created originally on that channel a, a bunch. But then I went over to Twitter because I never had an audience there and I wanted to start creating original stuff there. So I'm trying to still build up my Twitter. So Twitter is my pillar content focus and then i repurpose to linkedin because i know i have a a established audience there i think of one channel as a pillar content i don't because it's easier for me to think about let's just create for one channel and repurpose instead of saying oh now i have to think of original linkedin posts and now (laughs) i have to think of original podcast episode and now it just it comes naturally when you just think of one channel as and if you do, haven't followed this, this guy that I met, JT Barnett, and he kind of has the same thing for video. And he, he says, like, he focused on TikTok at his, like, pillar channel. Mm-hmm. And then everything he comes, he writes, like, a, like what he's going to say on t- TikTok. And then he produces that on different channels in different ways. But he starts as, like, a pillar. Like, this is my pillar channel. And then distributes. I think a lot of people think that they have to do different things in different channels. It's just how could you take messages that are working on one channel and distribute it on another channel? I think people overthink creating content where it could be simple. I know my LinkedIn approach is pretty simple, but I'm doing it because it's a repurpose tactic right now. It's not a a pillar of content creation for me right now. I know that was long-winded, but... No, that's the exact same with me. And I feel like all of my favorite creators tend to be the same. If I go to one channel, I don't want to see something completely different. Like, who the heck is this? You know, like with like Amanda, I don't, Amanda Natividad, I don't want to go to one channel and she's like talking about being the VP of marketing for Spark Toro and content strategy and then go to another channel and she's talking about, I don't know, something like off the wall, like uh, trigonometry or politics, it'll seem disjointed. And I'm less likely to follow her across multiple channels. So it, it sort of dilutes the value of her brand if she's not maintaining the same DNA across all of the channels. It's almost like you have to start essentially from scratch if you don't like carry that same DNA over, which is a it's possible, but it's just a lot more work, I think. Have you seen any creators who have done that effectively where like it's one channel there one way and another there? There's one that comes to mind and he's one of the biggest creators in the world, but <laughs> Mr. Beast, he <laughs> he he does everything on video the same. So like he in TikTok and stuff like that, but he just came to LinkedIn and he came, the reason his manager Reed said the reason he came to LinkedIn is because he can share his like business knowledge that he's learned over the years on any other channel. So he's creating a whole new audience on LinkedIn that, cause he knows his audience isn't there. Like he knows that his t- YouTube audience is not on LinkedIn and which is that's, that's another thing too, is if I was going to go on a different channel and try to go to different audiences, if marketers aren't hanging out on a certain channel, I could talk about something else on that channel that market, if I was like into very gaming, I could go on Twitch and do my gaming stuff and not have to talk about marketing and do my gaming stuff. But 
on channels when marketing hang out, I want to keep the message consistent. And then on channels that they aren't hang out, if I wanted to start creating and I had this hobby, that's why Mr. Beast does it very well. He's, he creates these fun YouTube videos, but he has so much knowledge to share, but he can't do it on his YouTube because nobody will watch because they're not coming there for that. They're coming there for his entertainment, his creativity, his crazy videos. They're not coming for his business expertise, but LinkedIn, they might. So they're testing that channel, which I think is a good move. But yeah, I don't think I see other creators doing that, but I think the bigger creators are understanding how to do that very well. I think the bigger creators understand the ones that the big TikTokers who like think that like I'm just thinking like Josh Richards, who's like one of the best like social media people on TikTok, but he he's so smart in business that he moves to other channels where he can talk about that stuff where he doesn't have to be dancing on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I've seen some creators who understand the importance of consistency in one, like if you have one account and you start talking about something and your audience building around that one topic, it's hard to switch it up randomly. Like you were saying, like Mr. BC can't just randomly start talking about business if he's already built this channel for one thing. So then he does have to create that second branch channel. So I have seen even within just one channel, like YouTubers who have one channel for one thing, like makeup or beauty, and then they'll create a second channel where they can focus on another topic because they don't want to lose the audience or dilute the message that they're sending. But that is, it's tough, you know, and it, it requires a lot of resources, which maybe that's why a lot of the smaller creators will start out with being very focused, etc. And then as they grow and expand, they're able to expand their brand out into multiple. I've seen celebrities do that pretty often, like where they grow and then they have multiple branches of that one brand. Like Rihanna, she's got music. Yeah, she kills that. it. <laughs> yeah. But she like kind of has to manage each of those like branches of her brand separately. If someone is following you for your personality and who you are, it makes it a little easier to change topics. Like for example, like Gary V was talking about <laughs> personal branding and social media for years and now he's switching to nfts and he might be losing some audience of those marketers but people follow gary v for him so he's able and he's shared his personality and his journey and he's documented everything so it makes it makes it authentic to him to start talking what he's his interest because that's who he is because they're following him for who he is as a brand so i think if you if you can create and document your journey, it's easier to switch it up. But if you just start, if you don't incorporate personality and people are just following for straight content, okay. then it's harder to change. Like Mr. Beast has a personality, so he can switch it off. Like some people are really good at just, and I, I'm guilty of this sometimes too. Like I'm, I sometimes over-focus on the topic of marketing, but I also think that sometimes you can pick and choose like who you show online. Like, I don't think it's a, you have to show everything online. Uh, right. You know, there's some topics that naturally sort of, I think when you're passionate about something, like I've talked about, aside from marketing, entrepreneurship, mental health awareness, parenting, I think that 
those come across better because they make you feel more multidimensional from a personal branding standpoint. But also when you have a brand, you know, like Airbnb has, you know, doesn't just talk about travel or hospitality. They also sometimes are involved in like um, charitable causes or, you know, mission-based kind of themes. I think that those also help people to connect with you better because you're adding more layers and and more depth to the brand than just, you know, if you were focused on one thing all the time. But it does have to feel like it's somewhat natural or authentic to who you are. I do think of like personal branding as pillars. I think you have your core pillar of what you talk about and then you have these other pillars that support it where yours, like I see you talking about leadership. I see you talking about family. I see you talking about mental health and those just show other things you're passionate about. But those are also very relatable topics that are like very relatable to a bigger group of people where like if you were talking about, I mean, Christina is really good at this. Christina talks about like, Marvel and marketing, <laughs> which he's really good at doing both of that, Red which is really Pepper. hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Red Hot. Yeah. She's really good at talking about a bunch of things. Um, but I think it's a little harder if you just don't know how to do that authentically or have that passion. But I think if you're talking, like for me, I like talking about taking PTO and I like talking about personal branding too, because I think it's important. And I think. I like talking about things that in marketing that I'm not necessarily in, but I've learned a lot about and want to share about. I think you don't have to stick to one thing. I just think you have to find those pillar things to show what you said more depth. And I like the Airbnb thing, but I think also for like brands is like, you have to figure out what those things are because you can't just be like going for one cause today and then three months later zig and go do another cause because people have receipts of like who you are online people will show up and be like hey homie you said this three months ago you were into this like (laughs) and now now you're into this cause like (laughs) but i want to get into the last bit of this is one question i i'm starting to ask everybody is who are some content marketing content creators or any content creators that inspire you daily Man, we've already named so many of them. I know, but <laughs> I, I just want—I just want to hype more, more of them yeah, up. Yeah. It, it could be those people too. I mean, definitely you. You've been like one of the people who I started my um, personal branding journey. I would say, like at the beginning of the pandemic, so twenty twenty, like so many people, and uh, you know, right from the beginning, you were one of the people who I followed and admired, and who motivated me to keep going. Amanda Natividad, just because she's so, she's a growth genius, just very, very sharp in not only growing her personal brand, but also like an actual corporate brand. And she also showcases the importance of giving in a community in order to grow. So she's constantly, you know, like we're doing right now, hyping other people up and connecting other people with opportunities, which she doesn't have to do, but I feel like it it strengthened the connections that she's formed, strengthened her role in the community to where that's lent itself to faster growth for her. 
Um, Christina Garnett, definitely, you know, the stuff that she's doing to build community at HubSpot. HubSpot is one of my favorite content creating brands, and they've shown the power of relying on content to drive inbound marketing and to really create a solid brand over time. But she's done incredible work with them to help them even more focus on um, creating advocates and evangelists within targeted communities. So yeah, I mean, everybody we've mentioned is amazing. Those folks are amazing. Just so many, I feel like there's been such a huge increase in content creators within the past few years. And it's nice to see that that's being rewarded that there are lots more ways for people to monetize all the time that they spend on content creation and just a lot more recognition for brilliance in that area. Um, used to be kind of like a joke, like you'd hear someone was a content creator and be like, okay, what is that? And now it's like, oh yeah, that's, it's like more of a legitimate thing. It's kind of funny you say that because sometimes I just think to myself and I'm like, I can't believe this many people are following me about marketing. <laughs> like, I just like, it just, it, it's funny to me, but it's just like, like, and they're on Twitter for marketing. They're not on Twitter for another reason. It just, it just, I always like go back to myself and be like, it's just so crazy to me. Um, but the one last question I have, and actually gonna, I think this is a new question because I want to, I want to get this out of you is like, what is a marketing hill you will die, would die on? Like, what is something that you are like passionate about that you would, like a, a statement that you will always advocate for. I mean, it could change in years because that's how marketing is. But <laughs> what is something that you would die on today? It really all comes down to caring, like genuinely caring about customers. I think when you, as a brand, really focus your marketing on expressing that care for customers through great content through great campaigns, through great product experiences. I think that that really conveys and it it helps you to create a stronger, more resilient brand that's going to last a lot longer than some of the fast brands that pop up and just do some like Facebook marketing and you know, it's like a cash grab kind of thing. I think you can tell when a brand doesn't actually care about its customers it'll come through and like, it'll come through some ways somehow, even if you try to fake it or, you know, do little, like you were saying, one cause one day and then a new cause the next month, whatever you think will like people are into for that moment. I think, yeah, just like a brand like HubSpot that's gonna like really care about putting something out there that's gonna benefit people. It's funny you said the the, the changing thing, because I think one thing I, I was listening to the All In podcast, I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but they were saying about when people go into companies and they, they start standing up for different causes inside mm -hmm. the company. And it's they were saying, like, if you were really passionate about a cause, that's something you should dedicate for years. It's not something that just came up on the media and now you're passionate about it. <laughs> like it's something that you deeply have cared about for years that when I, like, for example, mental health, like I had that growing up, like anxiety and stuff. And I deeply care about that. And I will continue to keep 
doing stuff, but some causes, like I can't say I'm like the most passionate about. So I can't die on that hill, but a lot of people just want to die on hills for something that just came in the media. And then they will, I think there are some great causes that people should bring light to. And I think that is, but I think there's also some things where it's like, if you want to create change, there's channels out there to go create change now, which I love that. Like that's what the internet does. Like you can go and create change on your social profile or create a company or something like that. I think, I think there's a lot of great issues out there that like for me, I will always stick up for mental health. Cause I think that's something I've been passionate about and I feel for it. So like, and I'll, I will dedicate resources in my life to do that. So I think those are things that like, find that thing you're passionate about and, and double down on that. Cause you can actually make a change. And that's what the big point is making a change. Like saying something online is not going to make a change. It's actually action. That's going to make a change. There's so much power now in individual voices. So cool to see that like individuals can have so much impact now, you know, brands have a ton of power, but individuals as well who, you know, lend their voices to different, things that they're passionate about. Also, we've seen the impact that that people can have and especially in finding their people, their communities, like marketing Twitter and you unite mm-hmm. and it's like, whoa, this is this is crazy. We're all like connected here and doing something that's actually like impacting all of us. Yeah, I love that. I mean, this has been great and I want to give you the last minute to just say where people could find you. I know you write a great newsletter. I know you are great on Twitter, but anything else, people tell them where they could find you and follow you. Yeah. So on Twitter, I am ccmars underscore rights. And then on Instagram, I started a new Instagram where I just share like examples of great marketing that I like. It's kind of like a swipe files and it's swipe underscore marketing. And then my newsletter, I mean, it's on my website, chantelmarcel.com. And uh, yeah, I put a lot of love into it. So really excited to have a bunch of people who are along for the journey and want to hear me write and ramble about marketing and, and business and all the things I'm passionate about each week. So I love it. I think, yeah, you're one of my favorite follows. And I think anybody listening should go follow you today. Um, they should get off this podcast right now, go on Twitter, <laughs> go sign up for that newsletter. But thank you for so much for joining Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We'll have to do this again. Yes, definitely we have to. Um, Cool, I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.